Hello, my name is Jackson McMurray. And I'm Madeline McMurray. And this is No Nerds Allowed. And there are no nerds allowed. I feel like that's going to get old after two or three episodes. <laughs> I forgot what our intro music is. It sounds like Disney Good anecdote for our intro. Do you want to hear it? Sure. <laughs> Do you want to naturally bring this up? Uh, this is an anecdote I've been sitting on for a while. Yeah. Because I wanted to say it on the podcast. I yeah. think it's really funny. Though. Okay, cool. Uh, I went to go see Widows in theaters a little while ago. That's the one with the lady's husband dies. Yes. She's like, you go to bring the money, and she's like, okay, I'll blow up a bunch of stuff. Yeah, so basically the premise is that there's a whole bunch of women who are married to, like, organized criminals... Then they all get killed in an accident while they're trying to rob somebody. Uh, but the person who they were trying to rob uh, goes after these wives because they're the people that like control the money that they used to have. Yeah. And be like, hey, give us our money back. And they're like, but we don't know where the money is. So now they've got to pull off a heist to get the money together or they'll be killed. Anyway, this uh, is a film directed by Steve McQueen. Now, here's the I'm thing just about that. laughing at McQueen. Yeah, here's the thing about that. There are two Steve McQueens in this world. Uh, one is an old white actor from the 50s. Yeah. And the other is a very modern director, director of such films as 12 Years a Slave. Yeah. He's a large black man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I walk into the theater, and I realize that it's like 80% old white people. <laughs> um, and I was like, wow, this doesn't really feel like an old white people kind of movie, but, you know, maybe I just misjudged all these old white people. That's yeah. fine. Uh, right before the movie, there's a bit, like they do in some movies, where there's a little bit with the director. Yeah. Who comes out and he says, hi, I made this movie, I hope you like it. Yeah. Uh, this larger black man, Steve McQueen, comes on screen and says, hi, my name is Steve McQueen. And everybody around me laughs. <laughs> because oh they clearly were expecting... The old white Steve McQueen. Why didn't they look it up? <laughs> so, uh, and I just, I was floored by that. I thought it was very funny. <laughs> there were also a couple of people behind me who left when it got too violent. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to say when it was wrong um, Steve McQueen, they just left. No. Uh, but yeah, and then I was walking out of the theater, some of them were like, that little, that little bit at the beginning was really funny, I'm glad they did that. And I was like, it wasn't a... <laughs> That guy is Steve McQueen. That is Steve McQueen. It's just a different Steve McQueen than you thought. There are two Steve McQueens in this world. (laughs) It's really good. There's a. I don't understand why the whole like Screen Actors Guild name thing doesn't apply to this scenario. Because whenever you get like a credit on a movie, they make sure that your credit is something. Oh, true. That another person doesn't have. That's why you get weird actors with like middle names and initials and stuff. Yeah. Just for that specific purpose. Yeah. I don't know why that doesn't apply to this situation. Maybe though. because I thought that the other Steve McQueen was just like done. <laughs> I guess. And yeah, they're maybe, like, we don't have to worry about maybe him. Maybe he's not in the Screen Actors Guild anymore. Yeah, because like, thing? I'm probably, he's like a million years old, right? I don't, I, he might be dead. That's probably, if he was an actor in the 50s, he's probably <laughs> let me, dead. Let me, let me check real quick. Yeah, did all these white people think that he was still alive? I don't know. It's the ghost of Steve McQueen. He might be still alive. I don't want to, I don't want to speak out of turn here. No, he's dead. Steve. Jackson, he's dead. Don't look it up. McQueen. He's already dead. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) 
I need to, every um, time I got really close to Megan, if he's not dead, I'll kill him myself, but I can't threaten oh, to kill people on the record. Over 25 years after his untimely death from mesothelioma in 1980. He died of mesothelioma? Yeah, a real long time ago. <laughs> did he get... Like 35 years ago. Did he get ago. financial compensation? I don't know. Yeah, these old white people should have known, because he's been dead for a real long time. <laughs> Man, I'm so excited for this new movie by the ghost of Steve <laughs> the McQueen. The ghost of Steve McQueen. So yeah, that must be why. I guess if you're dead, you don't get the same Screen Actors Guild rights yeah, so as the, people who are alive. Yeah, so someone can take your name and be like, I'm, I'm the Steve McQueen. <laughs> I'm the new Steve McQueen. <laughs> I'm a large black man and not some old white <laughs> yeah. guy. Anyway. So, okay. This week, uh, we talked about Buster Scruggs. Or the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. We're going to be talking about yes. uh Future tense. <laughs> We okay. haven't done it yet. We did talk about it when we made plans to do this podcast. <laughs> so why don't you get off my jock about it and let me just speak. <laughs> Can I talk? <laughs> Can you let me talk? Uh, okay, we're going to be talking about The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is a Netflix original Coen Brothers movie, which is just hilarious to me <laughs> which in is the first just, place. We live in the future. Uh, this movie is uh, a collection of short films Uh all directed by the Coen brothers and strung together. And it, it it's really something. I Sorry, there was this, another thing I was going to say, and I forgot what it was. Uh, oh, for a long time, when they originally announced this project, they were like, oh, this is going to be a uh, limited series. It's going to be a TV show. Yeah. Uh, and then a little while ago, startlingly recently, it was like six <laughs> months ago, they were like, uh, it's a movie now. <laughs> And everyone was like, oh, okay. And basically everyone involved was like, no, it was always going to be a movie. We never said anything else. It was always meant to be a movie, even though they like told all of us to our face it was going to yeah. be a TV show. And it's very clearly set up like a TV show. Yeah. have been watching it and, and how and it was produced. I think it's because they wanted... Because Netflix is making a big push at the Oscars this year mm. with Roma and this and... Just those two things. I don't think there's a third scenario in Mowgli. Uh, so I I'm think sorry, Andy there's, a, there's a part of me that believes that they got the rights to Roma and they were like, why don't we make this Coen Brothers join a movie so we have another Oscars mm-hmm. push? But everyone, everyone seems really set on the fact that it was always supposed to be a movie. So I don't know. Who Has am I to say? Have they gotten nominated for anything? Have they even talked about that yet? Uh, no, the Oscar nominations don't come out for a while. Okay. The Golden Globes nominations came out a little while ago. Not to date this episode, but... Oh, we super dated the last one. We were like, it's not Thanksgiving yet. Oh, that's right. Okay, anyway, uh, it didn't get nominated for any Golden Globes as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. And neither did Roma. So I think Netflix's plan is failing a little bit. I also think the Golden Globes are kind of... Not real. Just a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot of whackness about the Golden Globes. I like it, though, just because I like the award ceremony. I mean, yeah. Where, like, everyone's just super drunk. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, hey, well, on the Oscars, everyone has to be, like, all, like, yeah, it's presentable. Very, for sure. But the Golden Globes, it's just like, none of this matters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the training Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> and we're all just going to get hammered, and Ricky Gervais is going to say something racist for sure. <laughs> And now he's got Twitter, so now it's going to be several things. (laughs) So uh, I think, since this is a collection of short films, I think we can kind of itemize these and go one at a time. Um, Well, I mean, first one, starting with Buster Scruggs. Yeah, the first one is just called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Uh, It features Tim Blake Nelson as a singing cowboy. Yeah. Who beat... I should also say, I should have said this near the beginning. We're not going to 
be all coy about spoilers or anything. We're just going to talk about yeah. the movie. This is what it is. So if you haven't seen it and you like want to go at it with fresh eyes, probably watch it first. It's on mm-hmm. Netflix, so it's not hard to get a hold of. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Um, and very worth a watch, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, there's your disclaimer. There's your trigger warning. <laughs> all you snowflakes <laughs> out there. Um, so the first one is just called Battle of Buster Scruggs. Um, and basically the gag is, like, Tim Blake Nelson is, like, this very good-natured, happy cowboy. Singing cowboy. Singing cowboy. It's... And then he goes into town and just, like, brutalizes a bunch of people. I mean, I think the best, like, way to compare it is at the beginning of the series of Unfortunate Events movies where they open with that weird little short about, <laughs> right. like, a happy little elf. Like, this is just that. <laughs> uh, so... Another fun story about this recording session. Yeah. Uh, I watched this movie about a month and a half ago. And I, and I finished watching it literally less than five yeah. minutes ago. Yeah, so when I took these notes, I was assuming we would be doing this pro- podcast pretty quickly afterwards. Yeah. Uh, we did not. I don't know what half of my notes are about. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, for example, uh, I wrote down Lost Meat Angel, though. What? <laughs> <laughs> I... I'm not really sure what that means. <laughs> what? Um, like M E A T? Yes. <laughs> Maybe it's last? No, it's definitely lost. Lost Meat Angel, though. Are you talking about when Angel Buster Scruggs goes up into heaven? Are you asking Maybe? what happens to his meat? <laughs> that was my way of asking what happens to his corpse. I need to know where Donkey Kong pisses. Um. Yeah, so we can just move on from that. Okay, do you want me to do mine? You can start, yeah. Mine that are coherent and then I remember. I've been talking a lot in this one. You can go for it. I mean, so the first thing I've written down is that, like, right off the bat, Buster Scruggs comes in and he's singing and he's talking to the camera and he's, like, talking to the saloon owners. Like, it's such Cohen dialogue. Right. And mostly because it's this actor who is a buddy-buddy of the Cohen brothers. It's just yeah. like, this is a Cohen brothers thing. Yeah. Settle up. Here we go. And then the next thing I wrote down is that freaking shot where the bartender gets shot in the stomach, and then you see the light come in through his bullet wound as he yeah. hits the ground. And then the next thing that I've written is gross with, like, three O's and seven S's. <laughs> it's enough. so gross. Yeah. He, like, there's that one scene. First of all, he goes into the first bar, and he shoots everybody up. And it's, like, not that bad. I mean, they just, like, get yeah. shot, and there's, like, a blood sport, and it's over. But then he goes into, like, the nice saloon where they're not allowed any guns. They like, hits the table, so the guy shoots himself in the face, like, four times, and it's gross. <laughs> and his brother runs in and starts, like, slapping the corpse around, and it's gross. <laughs> and then they go, and then him and the brother go in the street and have a gunfight, and he blows off all of his fingers <laughs> and then shoots him in the head, and it's gross. It's, gross, yeah. it's so gross. <laughs> and it's definitely, I mean, there's a lot of gun violence and getting shot and stuff because they're all Western stories, which we should have brought up. It's yeah. absolutely a Western. Uh, they've seen it already. Yeah. I told them to see it, so they've seen um, it. And if they haven't, it's entrapment. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie, you have to tell us. <laughs> anyway, and so, like, there's a lot of, like, gun violence and stuff, and so there's, like, bursts of blood and stuff like that, but it's not that bad. This first one is so gross, <laughs> and, like, I I don't like gross blood stuff, so right. it's like, if the rest of the movie is like this, I got, like, another hour and 40 minutes <laughs> right. to go, is it's just gonna be all it is, but it's not, which is great. So, yeah, one of the things I have written down is I still, I think this first one was, like, 10 or 15% too goofy. Oh, yeah. I think they could have dialed it back just a touch. Like, I know this was them probably just getting it out of their system. Yeah. After 30 years of really deadpan humor. Yeah. Just being like, we're gonna go crazy on this one. <laughs> we're gonna have them get shot in the street, and then his angel's gonna sing a duet with the guy that shot them. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, 
Okay. Right. Um, and the mirror bit is great, where oh, yeah. he's like, I only got one bullet left, I best not get too fancy. And then he turns around and like holds up a mirror and is like trying to shoot from yeah. behind him. And he's like, well, I'm holding my left hand and his heart's on his left side. And, and yeah. the mirror is upside down. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, <laughs> um, and the last song rules. I just really like oh, Tim yeah. Blake Nelson singing. It's oh, good yeah. in No Brother Where Art Thou. It's good in Buster Scruggs. It's, it's just always good. It's, it's good, good in The Incredible Hulk. Pardon? <laughs> I what? just couldn't remember any other movie that Tim Blake Nelson was in. Oh, okay. I don't, think, I don't think he sings in that movie. We watched that movie in theaters. Yeah. I don't remember anything about it. We're not going to do it on the podcast. Um, uh, my next thing I've written down is just for the whole thing in general, is that I love that it's laid out like a book, which made a lot more sense when it was like an anthology of a few episodes. Hmm. But it still makes sense now because it's still an anthology. But having those, like, little pictures of what's going to happen in the plot, like, right before the story was so cool. Right. Like, I loved having, first of all, they were really cool paintings, and second of all, it was really cool to kind of see a little snapshot into the story, and so then when you actually got into the story and saw where that snapshot, like, happened, that was really cool. Right. And there's also uh, the little pieces of dialogue, or not dialogue, when you turn the page, you can see, like, a whole page of story oh, yeah. in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I read that, every time it stopped, I just, like, paused it and read it, because yeah. they're cool, and they're, like, totally different than the story. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's still the telling of the story, yeah. but it's not, like, the script or anything. It's not, like, the last line of dialogue or anything. Yeah. It's, like, this whole new thing. And, uh, yeah, like, I would just pause it every time and read it, because they were good. Like, yeah. I liked them. They were fun to read. Can they publish a Buster Scruggs book? Because I would... I'm sure they could. I absolutely they buy that. Will, but they could. They could. Um, I also have, uh, Dust Clouds, question mark? Was there a bit about dust clouds? Oh, there's in that a, one? there's the one shot where he walks into the saloon and he brushes himself off and keeps oh, walking. Oh, that's probably. And it. there's that cloud of dust that's the same shape that's, as him. Right, that's probably what. Which it was. is very Looney Tunes, but it, it got me though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God, what did I mean when I? Oh, lost me at Angel though. Oh yeah. Not lost me Angel. <laughs> <laughs> I figured it out. The lost meat yeah. angel. When he died and turned into an angel, I guess while I was watching it the first time, I was like, um, <laughs> that wouldn't happen. I watched that like four Citizens. other times. <laughs> I've watched that like four other times since then, though, and now I don't care. Yeah. Do you want to move on to the next one? Yeah. Next one is called, uh... I'm glad you wrote that. Oh, you didn't write them down. Never mind. No. Uh, I was going to say, I'm glad you wrote them down because I don't remember yeah, them. I don't but you also is. don't remember the second, them. Should I look at it or should we just roll? Well, it's the one with the actor that doesn't have any arms or legs, right? Is that no, the next one's the James Franco one. Oh, I didn't write down anything about this one. Hold on. Okay, pause. Pause. Uh, what's this movie called? Ballad of Moses. <laughs> what movie? The... Okay, so the second short film in this movie is called Near Algondones, which I guess is the name of the town or something. Probably. It's a boring name. It's a boring title, and I'm mad that I spent so much time looking it up. <laughs> it wasn't worth it. Not exciting. Um, but just, like, basically, this is some behind-the-scenes knowledge. The very first episode of this podcast we did, we talked about Rise of the Planet of the Apes, uh, and then we lost all of it. <laughs> basically, we spent about 20 minutes talking about how much we don't like James Franco. Yeah. Uh, it's because he doesn't act in that movie. Yeah. He just kind of has one expression and kind of looks at different things and goes, oh, I'm sad. There's, uh, there's a few movies I like James Franco in. The Disaster Artist. Haven't seen it. This movie. That's it, actually. Okay. Those are the only examples I have. I've heard that he's good in 100,000 Hours. 
How many hours? A lot of hours. A hundred... Like a billion hours. 137 hours. 127 yeah. no, hours. No, 137. Is it 37 or 27? 492 <laughs> hours. Square root of 736 <laughs> divided by pi. The square root of i plus 1. Anyway... <laughs> This is not a really good joke. We can just leave it. Quit while we're ahead. How about? I have to leave. <laughs> um, but James, I don't know. Something about James Franco and all the roles that I've seen him in, which has really just been Planet of the Apes and some other movies that I can't remember. Spider-Man. And Spider-Man. He kind of just, like, is kind of a likable dude, so he just kind of goes yeah. around and is himself. He's got then, a natural charisma. Yeah, and so people are like, yay, James Franco, because I'm like, hey, you're not acting, Timothy. Yeah. You're just having reactions to things. Yeah. No, what I said in the other podcast was like, James Franco, it just looks like he got shown a flashcard with the name of an emotion on it before <laughs> yes. every take. And it's just like, sad, so he plays this one sad. Yeah. Angry, so he plays this one angry. Yeah. And it's like there's no nuance to well, his Well, I think he does a good job in this role because, I don't know, there's not a lot of emotion to this role. <laughs> right. Cause that's, and that's kind of the joke. Yeah. Is that he's like, oh, whatever, I'm getting arrested again, or oh, whatever, I'm getting hung again. <laughs> yeah, so let's spend a little bit less time roasting James Franco <laughs> and actually talk about this Just movie. Just sending James Franco into the sun. Because... <laughs> um, that's the that's the build up. We like James Franco in this. <laughs> that's the thing. We made it, everybody. We like James Franco in this. Clap with me. <laughs> I, uh, it's you could have just said that I was clapping with you because it's an audio medium. But you can hear that it's just me clapping. Clap with me. Just clap with me now. Fine. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna clap again, and then I'm gonna edit them on top of each other okay. later. So it sounds like we're both clapping, and you're gonna look like a fucking idiot. <laughs> Who looks stupid now? You do. So, this is, like, to me, this was my favorite of all these films. Mm -hmm. Because it's just so quintessentially, like, Coen Brothers humor. It's, like, this really, like, restrained, really deadpan, like, really flat story. And the colors are all muted and gray. Uh, And it's just about this guy who tries to rob a bank and then gets away with it but then gets arrested, but then gets free, and then goes into town and immediately gets arrested well, again. Well, because then he gets arrested for a thing he didn't do, and right. then that's what he ends up getting hung for. <laughs> right. It's, I don't know. It's just, like, farcical, and I think yeah. it's really funny. Farcical? Um, <laughs> Someone else has made that joke before. <laughs> I hope you know that I'm going to keep that in. That's Everybody fine. in the world is going to hear you being like, Farcical? <laughs> Anyway, uh, there's a bit in this I really want to point out, because for some reason I thought it was just hilarious to me. Yeah. There's a bit where he walks past a well, and there's a sign on the well that just says, Bad Water. (laughs) I I don't know. For some reason that really got me. I don't know why I didn't write anything down for this part, and I think it's because it all just kind of, like, made sense. Yeah, it just feels right. Yeah, it's just like, he does this, and then this happens. Like, I should have written down that I really like the bank teller, especially, like, that little, like, monologue he gets, like, you ever been robbed before? And he's, like, goes on this whole big thing. Like, that's hilarious. I was gonna say, and then he, like, mentions the guy that he caught earlier, his legs being all shredded up, and then a second later he, like, pulls the trigger, and these guns, like, blasted his legs. Yeah. It's, like, this weird little bit of foreshadowing that I really like. That guy's named Steven Root. He's the blind guy in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm -hmm. And the blind guy in Get Out. And uh, Bill on King of the Hill. Who is sometimes blind. <laughs> and he's just, I don't know, he's the best. I love him so much, and I wish I want better for him. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, My favorite shot in this 
is when he's, like, getting hung, but he's, like, hanging out on a horse. Yeah. And, like, the horse, like, keeps, like, moving forward to, like, graze on grass. Yeah. And it, like, just cuts to him, like, leaning further and further back. Yeah. Like, hanging by his neck, and the horse is, like, just slowly going forward. Yeah. That was so funny to me. Um... Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What, what's wrong? I, uh... The... There's a bit... I don't know if this was supposed to be funny or not. Yeah. But I just thought it was really good. There's a bit where they're getting, like, attacked by Indians, and one of the guys that's trying to hang James Franco, like, shoots him in the neck with an arrow, and the guy's like, oh, And then he, like, goes to pull it out, but just, like, kind of breaks it halfway through, and he's like, okay, good. <laughs> and, like, yeah. starts to fight again. Well, no, but then he gets shot in the neck again, yeah. which is why I wrote down gross again. <laughs> I don't know, I just thought that was funny, like, he's like, he just breaks it in half, he's like, I'm good now. Yeah. <laughs> he's coming. Um, there was one bit in this that I thought didn't work, mm-hmm. when he, uh, is getting hanged the second and final time. Yeah. Uh, where the guy's crying next to him, he's like, uh, is it, is it your first time? And that's, like, a really good joke, because... Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not, well, it's not his You can only, either. yeah, because presumably, typically, you can only be hung once, because then you you die. Yeah. But for James Franco, he's been tried to be hung more than once. This is yeah. a joke that I'm explaining to yeah. you. Yeah. Um, it's just as funny now. It's a, yeah, it's a very funny joke, but then the guy responds to it by going, <laughs> and it totally ruins it. <laughs> it. It was Tim Allen it's, the whole it, time. Yeah, exactly. I almost feel like, because they use that bit in the trailer, too, yeah. it's like, we need something that plays to a really wide audience to put in the trailer. We need something for the dumbos. Exactly. So they had that guy be like, who? Like, that was a joke. <laughs> uh, and I thought that was not funny. What did you think about the pretty girl thing at the end? I have no opinion. <laughs> like, yeah, honestly. I just didn't really get it. It's like, now that's a pretty girl and then you fucking die. <laughs> well, because I, I thought it was going to... I didn't realize that that was the end of the bit. I thought it was going to be like something was going to happen with right. them, too. I think it's just telling you more about his character. That he Maybe. likes... He's straight, everybody. In <laughs> case you didn't know, this yeah. cowboy, he likes women. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just sort of to trick you into think maybe he's going to get out of it. Probably. Because like, they're like... It seems like they're setting something up, maybe. Yeah. But then he just fucking dies, and that's the end of the story. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Could be. Maybe it's just one of those weird Coen Brothers idiosyncrasies where it's just like, you don't know what this is or why it works, but it feels good to watch, so... <laughs> It feels right. Yeah. That's the thing about the Coen brothers, is, like, everything they teach you about storytelling, about how, like, efficiency is everything, and you shouldn't have something in there if it doesn't serve a purpose, mm-hmm. Coen brothers just fucking throw that out the window. Oh, yeah, no, totally. There's so much stuff in Coen brothers movies that, like, doesn't have anything to do with anything, and you're just like, yeah. I'm glad that was there, though. Well, that's, like, I really like that, because I feel like as soon as you create, like, a system of how to do something, like, as soon as you make, like, a set of rules... I feel like you lose a lot of, like, originality and a lot of, like, the fun of the process. And so it's being, like, cut out anything that doesn't immediately help the story. Well, it's kind of like, well, life isn't like that. I don't want my story to be like that. And I know there's, like, a separation where it's like, this is a real life, we're telling a story. And, like, I get that. But, like, I want to have fun still. (laughs) I want this to be a good time. Like, a great example is... Sorry, you can finish your thing. No, you're good. Okay. (laughs) You just saved me and then decided to throw me back. <laughs> <laughs> I threw you a lifeboat and then throw you right back into the ocean. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, you're example. good. You know how to swim. Get back out there. It's like, oh, wait, you were really in trouble. Save yourself. <laughs> uh, anyway, a great, example, a great example is in The Big Lebowski, mm-hmm. which I think you still haven't seen. But, yeah, dog. But for everyone else. I've seen snippets. Everyone who's cool. Snippets and pippets. Uh There's a bit right near the beginning 
where they're just like, who's that guy in John Turturro's bowline? And they're like, his name's Jesus, and he's a sex offender. And there's, like, this whole bit where he's, like, doing this funny dance, and it's, like, really goofy, and there's this bit about him wearing a crazy outfit and having to go door-to-door and tell people he's a sex offender. Yeah. Uh, It doesn't have anything to do with anything. (laughs) But people love it. That's, like, people's favorite part of the movie. It's because it's funny. Yeah, it's just funny. I don't know. And it doesn't feel gratuitous. It just feels like something good and fun. I don't know. It's weird that they can pull it off. Because if anyone else were doing it... I would be like, that was stupid. Yeah. But, like, I don't know. They just have a good way of just making it making it work. Yeah. Making it fit. Well, because I feel like, especially the Coen brothers, they're so dialogue-based. That's like, when you're introducing something stupid and silly, you have the characters telling you that stupid and silly thing, so it right. seems more real. Because, like, I don't know, we tell each other stories, so when these people are telling a story about this ridiculous <coughs> thing that happened, it seems less ridiculous because these people are, like, telling it as a story, yeah. you know? Okay, I want to hear what you think about this next one. Yeah. Because I didn't like it. I really like it. But you really like it. So yeah. you, we'll do a moderated debate here. You go first. Okay. So I forget what this one is called, but this is the one... Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. It is called Meal Ticket. Meal Ticket, that's yes. right. So it's about this traveling actor who has no arms or legs, and every night he gives the same monologue, and this guy is traveling him around and has to like take care of him. And he kind of gets shown like how that's difficult to take care of him because he can't do anything by himself. And so he's really reliant on this guy that's putting them around. But what I love about this, well, first of all, the first thing that I have set up, and I thought it was really cool, was for the very first performance, you are just shown seeing the guy set up a stage, and then the man with no arms or legs starts to give his monologue, and, like, you figure out that he doesn't have any arms and legs the same time that the actual audience in the scene does, and first of all, I thought that was really cool. But, and then they, he's, like, in his old-timey stage makeup and stuff, and at first you're from the audience perspective, so it's far away and it looks right, but then they go into this close-up, and as someone who's, like, kind of familiar with theater, I always think it's really cool when they do stuff like that. Like, someone who is in stage makeup, which is meant to be seen from far away, and then doing a close-up on them. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of a metaphor in itself, like, getting closer onto something that you're not supposed right. to, like, look yeah, yeah. at. And so that was the first thing that I wrote down. I was like, that's really cool. I'm glad they did that. And then the next thing that I wrote is that his monologue is kind of funny because he just does every single monologue that he can think of. Right. And he just goes through that every single night. And on the poster, I think it just says, like, dramatic speech. And then he yeah. goes through, like, all these soliloquies. He's, like, doing, like, the Bible. I think the last one is from the Constitution. Like, yeah. it's really funny. And it's just, I don't know, it just speaks to, like, the Old West. Oh, like, yeah, totally. Nobody had any forms of entertainment. It's like, what's this guy doing? He's saying something. <laughs> He's reading a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But then, yeah. And then the next thing is in that same scene is like right after he's done this like really cool and long monologue is that the guy who supports him goes through and starts asking for money. And as he's asking for money, that speech of him asking for money is blurring out and talking over the guy finishing his soliloquy. And I was like, whoa, that's really cool. And then uh, most of the dialogue in this whole story is just him performing the monologue. Yeah. Like, outside of that, there's barely any other dialogue. And mm-hmm. I thought that was super cool. That Especially because cool, yeah. the actor, the guy who's playing the actor, never speaks outside of the monologue. The guy who's taking care of him says a few things, and it's mostly like, he's never had a love in his life, or whatever. Like, it's some <laughs> right. stupid little thing. But having no dialogue outside of the performance, I thought was really, really cool, and told you a lot about that actor and his life, and like, his situation and stuff. And then the last thing that I have written is that you have that scene of him stopping after he's bought the chicken to get more money. Like, we already kind of know. We know that he's not making as much money. We know he's getting the chicken to get more money. And in the back of your head, I mean, this second you 
it opens, you know that this guy's gonna kill the actor. Like, we know. Right. And I feel like a lot of these stories are kind of obvious, but they're still good because they do it in a fun way. But anyway. And so he goes to the bridge and he chucks that big boulder into the water, and then the next shot is just him with the empty carriage, and I thought that was really cool right. that we didn't see him kill the boy because we kind of knew that he was oh, going to. I didn't get that. Oh, you didn't? Maybe I just need to watch it again. I only watched it that first time on my tiny, like, 12-inch TV. Oh, yeah. So, so maybe, <laughs> maybe there is some subtlety of that that I didn't miss. I, mm-hmm. To me, it totally didn't read like he killed him. I thought he just, like, oh. walked up and, like, threw a big rock in the river and walked away, and I was like, what the fuck was that? Oh, no, it was him, like... Testing it out, like, seeing if he could do it. Oh, maybe. And, yeah, that could be, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just didn't necessarily play to me. And I think that makes it a little bit different, I think. Okay, here's here's my counter Here's why I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, there are two things, there are two kinds of stories in this world that I just naturally don't like. Uh-huh. The first is uh, kids these days won't get off their dang phones. Yes. Which I think this applies to in a roundabout way, and I'll get back to it in a second. Okay. And uh, the other is, oh, I'm such a tortured artist, me the person making this. Here's a weird veiled metaphor about my why my life is so hard. Oh, okay. Uh, and I feel like this story is both of those things. I mean... Because to me, what I got out of it the most was it was a statement about how, like, this guy, the actor, has dedicated his entire life to his craft, you know? And it's the only thing that he has... And it's everything about him, and he pours his soul into this every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people love it at first, but then they start to, you know, get distracted by other things. And the other thing they're distracted by is just some chicken doing something. It doesn't require any talent from anybody other than this chicken. It's just somebody found a chicken. They don't mm-hmm. deserve this fame, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, it's almost like they're condemning the audience for going to see this cool chicken rather than, mm-hmm. like, their high art. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's why I think it feels like kids these days won't get off their dang phone. Yeah. Like, kids these days just want people yelling on YouTube, and nobody cares about us, the Cohen brothers, doing <laughs> art, incredible art anymore. I guess I just didn't see the author in this story. Right. I didn't see... I thought it was just, like, this was just a story. I didn't see the metaphor. If right. It was one. I thought this was just a story. And, I mean, you do get that. You do get that this is, like, a tortured artistic soul, but I don't... Yeah. I don't see the... I don't see the author going, this is me, right. I am Luke Skywalker, right, you know, yeah. like, I don't know, I just thought it was a cool, independent story. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it just comes down to, like, different readings, and different mm-hmm. interpretations are valid, but, like, mm-hmm. that was just fine, and I didn't, it rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. I was gonna say something. Oh, I have no idea how they got him to look like he had no arms or legs. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, with, we talked about this a little bit, but, like, with, um... What is it called? What are you trying to say? I love you, Jenna. Oh, Forrest Gump. With Forrest Gump. <laughs> what? I couldn't think of the name of it. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to roast you too bad on our public podcast. What? But that was the funniest shit in the world. Think of what it was First called. of all, that you couldn't remember the name of Forrest Gump. But second of all, what you said to make me understand was, I love you, Jenna. <laughs> but you got it immediately. <laughs> anyway. Sorry, continue. What my stupid brother was trying to say. It's easy with Lieutenant Dan in Forrest Gump because he had his legs blown off at his knees. So the actor could just sit on his knees. And it's still impressive, but it's easy to make it look like it's on his legs. 
But in this one, where his legs are torn off, like, at his waist, and his arms are torn off, like, at his shoulders, like, I have no idea how they did it, because there's no way they use green screen. Because there's shots where he, like, picks them up and moves them, so I, like, don't know right. how they did that. Unless they had some, an actual actor with no arms or legs, and they put another actor on top of him. Or maybe just, like, a mannequin. Did, maybe. But no, because he, like, moves around, too. So I guess it would yeah. have to be, like, a really cool puppet. I don't know. I just want to know how they did it, basically. And I wish... I guess because they had to find someone with no arms or legs that could really deliver the soliloquy, because that's, like, what the whole performance was. But, like, I don't know. I wish they would have used someone with no arms or legs, because there's that famous guy who, like, goes on and does talks right. and goes skydiving and does a lot of stuff, and he doesn't have any arms or legs. So I kind of wish they would have, like, <laughs> at least, like, tried to find someone, you know? Right. And I know because it's a... The guy who plays him is, like, an actor. He's, like, in the acting circle. So, right. like, I get it, but I don't know. I wish they would have done somebody who actually had that problem. Right. And, I don't know, that's the sort of thing about casting like that, is, like, yeah. when you are going for a demographic that's so, so small... Yeah. Like, you know, how many in the Coen Brothers, like, available pool of I people mean, yeah, that can get to work for them? I mean, yeah, people that they know. Yeah, well, it's not even, like, just people that they know. It's, yeah. like, I, I find it almost hard to believe that, like, there would be... Like, even if you put out, like, just the widest possible casting call, like, yeah. we need somebody with no arms and no legs who's incredibly capable at acting. I mean, yeah. Not that I don't think they can be, but, like, it's just, like, and I think you would probably be able can to find someone, someone, but yeah. can you get someone to come film your movie in the space that you want? There's so few people who fit that yeah. qualification. I don't know. Uh, do you want to move on to the next one? Which one is it? So that's the uh, Gold Digger one. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is called? It's called? Man Find Gold. No, no. Yeehaw. All... Yeehaw Mangold. Get shot in ditch. Yell at deer. The... River water in gun wound. Um, so, uh, I chose a really bad way to find it out. Yeah. Yes. Just a sec, just a sec, just a sec, just a sec, just a sec. It's the one with the gold digger. Yes. Not like a woman, like a miner, a prospector. Lester's Krugs. Uh... Man-hand-car-hook-door. Man-door-hand-hook-car-door. <laughs> Story titles. Oh, the Buster's Craig. Okay. This is a really good podcast. The third one is, or the <laughs> next one is called All Gold Canyon. That's it's a, a weird, weird title. title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Now we've got that out of the way. <laughs> Why do these all have kind of lame titles? Yeah. So the second one was called Near Algodones. Mm-hmm. Near Algodones. Near Algodones. Uh, which sounds like it's referring to a place. Maybe that's just a like an adjective. I'm not familiar uh, with. Maybe it's like Dodge. Like it's I don't know. Like a near miss. No, like we got to get out of Dodge. Like oh. a bad town. I don't know. Uh, I don't know old timey. I'm gonna Google Algodones stuff. real quick. For our good podcast. For our good audio medium. Uh, no, it's just a town in Cala in New Mexico. Oh, okay. Well, then it's just... No, like... not New Mexico. Real Mexico. Real Mexico? Yeah. The old Mexico? But, like, West Mexico. So, like, where they probably could have been. Yeah. We're, like, we're Westerns. Yeah. So, yeah, it just really is. Yeah. It's like, this happened near this yeah. place that you don't mention in yeah. the story. Have you ever seen Stagecoach in any of your film history classes? No. That was, like, the Western movie that, like, saved the Western, and it was, uh, who's the famous Western acting guy who is John Wayne. It was John Wayne's, like, first big role, and 
Stagecoach is a really interesting movie because it's like the movie that like saved like brought western movies back into the like modern conscious after right. they had kind of gone away for a long time. Mm-hmm. But uh that was directed by Hey, can you look up who directed Stagecoach cuz I have forgotten. Why Hey, you've been Googling stuff on your phone. Yeah, I know, but you should be responsible for your own Googling. I just had to stop, though, and you have your phone out. I can't get my dumb phone to work. (laughs) This is a good podcast. Stage coach. Director. Because I'm going to talk about it again when we get to the last one. Why is my internet... Oh, here we go. Uh, Is this a movie? Yeah. Is it called Arizona Stagecoach? No. Got John Wayne in it. Why is it not coming up? I don't know. Hold on. Oh, it's because I because I put a space between stage and coach. Oh. It's John Ford. John Ford. Well, because the first thing that I've written down for this. I threw my phone way over there. So if you need something looked up anymore, it's all on you. <laughs> it's behind the bed that I'm sitting on. Okay. <laughs> the first thing that I've written down about this story is that the landscape shots are so good, and John Ford in Stagecoach was, like, the first guy to, like, really show people how to, like, film these big landscape shots because he went to Monument Valley and did all those really cool, like, classic Western shots, and he was, like, the first guy to do it. So especially because this whole story is about all these Western stories, when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's John Ford. He's They're mimicking him with all these really cool, beautiful landscape shots. Cool. Yeah. So There's some freaking film (laughs) history for you, you degenerate. (laughs) <laughs> somebody calling somebody else a degenerate and stumbling over their words is really funny. New it. bit idea. It didn't just happen. Uh, so this is another one that I've got some notes on that I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, I have written in quotes, how high can a bird count? Does someone yeah. say that? Yeah, because he crawls up in a tree and he takes the eggs, but then the owl sees him. Oh, that's right. That's right so that's he right. puts them back. I really like that line. That I thought was, that was cool. Yeah, that was really good. Um, so what I wrote down here, well, the first thing I have written down is real deer, question mark? My no. TV is very small. No, it was not a real <laughs> yeah, deer. Yeah, okay, gotcha. It was, like, the first, the shots where it's, like, far away, you're like, oh, it could be a real deer, but when it, like, comes back at the very end, right. you're like, that's not a real deer. Yeah, I probably wrote that down before the end. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, I was watching this on my, like, 13-inch TV yeah. in my apartment, and I was like, that looks pretty good, Is Thanos purple? Uh, <laughs> the, uh... Another thing I've written down is, like, this is just classic Coen Brothers. It's, like, yeah. boring, but it's still cool and fun yeah. to be well, around. It's it's not boring because the old man right. is so interesting and fun and nice. Yeah. Like, you want him to find the gold. Like, he's just, like, a cool dude. And I really like right. the prospector. Okay, here's what I thought Here's what I thought this movie was going to be. And yeah. it didn't turn out to be that way. But when I write my gritty reboot of Battle yeah. of Buster Scruggs... Well, I thought he was going to get attacked by the owl. Like, when, oh, he, right. when he finds the gold and you see, like, a shell behind him, I was like, oh, it's that motherfucking <laughs> owl. <laughs> no, okay, so he's paying for gold. Yeah. He sees one and it's, like, two little bits. He's like... Not good enough to keep yet, and he throws it back in the river. Yeah. And then he, you know, does it a few more times, and it starts to get more and more, and he keeps throwing it into the river. Yeah. I thought it was gonna be like, oh, he never finds it, and he's gonna be all mad because he dumped all that gold in the river earlier. Oh. And in my version, uh, he would never find it, and then the last shot would be like a whole big pile of gold that he dumped in the river that all just collected <laughs> at the end, ironically. And it would be about. Hubris. And it would be called dumb old man throws away gold. <laughs> Not clickbait. <laughs> Not clickbait. <laughs> Follow for a free iPhone. <laughs> uh, yeah, that it's not a criticism. That's just yeah. what I thought it was going to be, and it wasn't. That. I don't know. Well, 
because they... I think it's because that line, it's like how I can never count. I kept thinking that that owl was going to come back, right. but it didn't yeah. come back because why would it come back? <laughs> right. So I was like, what is that owl going to come back, man? Yeah. I was waiting for the third act for the owl to pay off. Right. Uh, I really like something I have written down here, which is just, oh no, this is sad. I know. <laughs> I was like, it was like a good time the whole time. You're like, yeah. I like this guy. I like watching him dig yeah. for gold. It's pretty outside, yeah. and I'm enjoying myself. And, and then he gets shot, and then it's sad. He's shot, yeah. Uh, so I thought, I thought it was kind of implied. I thought that the guy who shot him was someone that he had been working with, and then had like left behind or let go, and that he had been following him after that. Right. I mean, if they tell you that it was someone who was following him, waiting for him to find the gold, right. like we knew that. But I thought it was someone that he knew. And that made it much sadder, so right. I wish that that was the thing. Yeah, it reminded me of another old movie that I had to watch for a class, which mm-hmm. was called uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, mm-hmm. which is basically the same thing. It's about people, like, panning for gold, mm-hmm. but it's, like, a group of three of them, and once they start finding a bunch of gold, one guy goes crazy because uh-huh. he thinks the other ones are allowed to get him. Yeah. And, you know, it's, like, this classic movie that everyone yeah. loves, but all, when I was watching it the whole time, it was, like, the instant they find some gold, he turns from a perfectly rational man into a crazy person. <laughs> like, yeah. that. Anyway... That's just my hot take. Anyway, here's a different Um, movie. But yeah, they both do a good job of, like, this idea of, like, you find some gold, uh, and somebody just happens to stumble across you and your gold. Yeah. Uh, Here are the three things that could happen. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you could kill him. Yeah. He could kill you, or you could go 50-50 and nobody gets as much gold. Yeah. It's like, that's that's all that could happen. I mean, yeah. And it's just, I don't know, it's just like a scary kind of situation. It is. I mean, I... I thought it was, it was a weird thing because it was a weird resolution. It was a weird third act because you were happy that the prospector was alive, but you were kind of, it was weird that he had to kill someone to get the gold. It felt bad. It felt like everything had gone bad for him. And like, yeah, it felt like he had like committed a sin to get this gold. Right. And I feel like. Yeah. What was originally just something he earned for himself now turns into like blood money yeah you know through like no fault of his own uh-huh. through the fault of this guy who shot him right and like i don't know even i think it's just like in the way that they portray the man when he's getting killed and the way that the prospector is like screaming it's like you shot me i did like just the way he's just like right. screaming is that like you feel you feel bad for everybody in the situation <laughs> right, yeah. like this just isn't a fun time and that's the thing uh and then he gets shot all the way through at least <laughs> put river water in it yeah. you're like oh that's I'm so thing, sorry, old man. Right. To me, that's, like, the quintessential Coen Brothers mm-hmm. uh, idea. Is, like, somebody starts just being a regular guy, mm-hmm. and through absolutely no fault of their own, yeah. they end up either dead or killing somebody. Yeah. And it just happens, and there's nothing they can do about it. Yeah. Uh, that Yeah, that to me is what makes Coen Brothers movies so interesting. It's yeah. Because like, it's just sad, because the people are just totally helpless, it feels yeah. like. And they get, like, corralled into just doing horrible things. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, the last thing I have written down is just the shooting scene with the smoke, like, when he's down in the in the pit and he yeah. gets shot and there's, like, gun smoke all around him. Yeah. It's very pretty. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Uh, you want to go to the next one? I have one more thing I was going to say. Oh, okay, go for it. It was... I thought it was cool that you had that really long beat of silence where after the guy has just shot the prospector and oh, he's saying right. he's rolling that cigarette. And that whole scene is really cool because you keep going from the guy... Really casually, just like sitting there waiting for him to bleed out, basically right, like rolling yeah. a cigarette. And you see, like the they keep going back to the prospector in the pit with like the blood starting to spread farther and farther down yeah, his bed. Yeah, yeah. And then you do see the owl in the background for no reason. <laughs> I 
I did get that third act owl. <laughs> Check out <his> owl. <laughs> but yeah, that whole scene is just really, really cool because then when he does finally, finally jump into the pit, that's when he gets his yeah. comeuppance. So it's just a really cool scene. What should have happened is the yeah. owl should have. I thought that's what was gonna guys. happen. No, I thought the owl was gonna attack the guy that shot him. I was like, oh, the owl's gonna be the hero. That's gonna be the twist. Yeah. I really wanted this to be about the owl. Right. Okay, so for the next one, I threw my phone across the room, so I don't know what it's called. Okay. Um, but it's the one where Zoe Kazan is just like a girl on a wagon train, and yeah, and her she has to try to get married after her brother dies. Yeah. Uh, and I went through quite the quite the arc on this in my yeah. notes. Can I just say the one thing that I got written down for this whole thing? Sure. He's got that old timey sick cough. <laughs> Literally, so they're like on the trail and they're walking, and the brother takes out a handkerchief and starts coughing. I'm like, boy, that guy's dead. <laughs> that guy's a dead man. <laughs> yeah, and then the next shot is him dead because the color brothers are like, yeah, they know he's dead. <laughs> We're on the Oregon Trail and he coughed into a handkerchief. This guy is already <laughs> in the ground. Uh, I have a lot written down because at first, like, it just took a really long time to get interesting. Mm-hmm. I was like, uh. I, I guess the accents are a little inconsistent. I don't know. I yeah. guess this is a different setting than the other ones. I guess I don't mind. Yeah, I was like, I don't like Zoe Kazan in this. Uh, the gunshots are good, I guess. I was just like writing all this stuff about how I didn't like it. Yeah. And I was like, this is weirdly totally and hard to care about. I'm Jackson from six months ago, and I think I know better than the Coen brothers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the uh, But then, like, as soon as they got to the good part of, like, the two of them interacting and, like, Oh, yeah. Having, like... It a, was cute. Like, yeah, it was a cute story. Like, it turned into this, like, real, yeah. like, believable romance that I wasn't yeah. expecting it to turn into. And then they get attacked by Native Americans. Yeah. No, uh, the, uh... And that's the thing that was really interesting about this, is that, like, mm-hmm. the... That sort of archetype of, like, old-timey people, mm-hmm. it's so hard to relate to them. Oh, yeah, totally. And... It's just a totally different everything. Yeah, and especially they always try to tell love stories, and it's always, like... People, like, she just, has to marry this man, and yeah, he's kind of okay. And you're gets like, the vapors and yeah, you, you, it's like, like, oh, my brother's dead, so I have to marry someone. And yeah. It's like, okay, it's like just so it's outside like of Hare. the realm. Yeah, it's like so outside of anything I'm even remotely familiar with. Um, I just want to describe the plot of Jane Eyre because I still uh, think it's hilarious. A, a story for another time, <laughs> please. Fine. Well, it just Maybe like quit. shows how so unrelatable a lot of these old timey stories <laughs> are because it's like. She works for this man who's kind of a dick, and then she falls in love with him, and then she finds out that he's keeping his wife in the attic, and then she runs away and dies in the woods, and then comes back, and they get married, and it's, like, fine. (laughs) It's like, what the hell? (laughs) So, yeah, but, like, the way that this story ends up near the end, like, you see those things of, like, the two of them talking to each other. And, like, speaking like people. Oh, yeah, totally. And, like, getting to know each other, which is, like, nothing you ever see in, like, old time Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, And, like, for some reason, it just, like, really hit home, like, oh, this was the way real people lived, and, like, this is a a slice of history in a certain way, that, like, real people went through this, and they were just like me. They also had thoughts and feelings and talked about stuff And also thought they were better than the Coen brothers. Right, exactly. They wrote snotty notes in their notebook that said, like, oh, I don't like this story. Um, I mean, they did. I hate my life. <laughs> There's also a couple of these where I'm just like, what? Old times were crazy. <laughs> <laughs> there was one, like, the bit where they tell each other their first names. I was like, what? That's so weird. Yeah. And uh, there's a throwaway line where they're like, the new law says, 
a couple can claim 640 acres. I was like, 640 acres? <laughs> yeah, Christ. John. That's why they were going like, blaze, because they yeah. were just handing it out. And, like, no wonder they got assaulted by Native tribes at the end of this. Oh, yeah. Because, like, <laughs> because the Native Americans were like, hey, insane. what the fuck? Yeah. Why do these two bimbos get 640 <laughs> yeah. acres of land? Jesus, there's so much land. What would you do with that? I know. Um, I really like that bit where the kid is walking backwards. And the oh, mom's yeah. just like, stop that. <laughs> I mean, that's just, just like, another of that, like, humanizing. Yeah, like, and it's like another one of those Coen Brothers things. It doesn't have anything to do with anything, but it's just kind of funny. And I mean, yeah. It's nice. Uh, it's like, I'm going to walk this way all the way to Oregon. And the mom's like, don't. <laughs> like, that's it. Stop it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all that I had to say. And then it got mm-hmm. sad at the end, just yeah. like the gold digger one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm going to talk about Stagecoach again. Okay, sure. Buckle up. Uh, at the end of Stagecoach, the Stagecoach gets attacked by a tribe of Native Americans as they're going across this dry lake bed. And one right. of the guys, who's the gambler, which is an archetype that comes up in another right. Buster Scruggs thing, is that he almost shoots one of the women in the carriage as they're getting attacked by Native Americans, because it's that whole, it's better to die than get right, captured right. by the Native Americans. But in Stagecoach, it was John Ford saying, this guy who is about to shoot this woman is a racist and sucks. Because right. for him, death was better than interacting with the Native Americans. Right. And so that was that whole thing. But in this movie, it's weird because they treat it as their reality. Right. Which is probably how it was. That was their reality. Right. Like, you've got to die. There's kind of a lot to unpack as far as, like, Native American stuff in mm-hmm. this movie. Because on the one hand... I feel like it does speak to a certain truth of, like, these people's experience. Yeah. But on the other hand, I think their experience was a pretty racist one. I mean, <laughs> so yeah. It's like, It's I don't the know. perspective of racist people at a right. racist time. Exactly. Yeah. And, well, because, like, she says, like, there's only one savage, and it's like, damn it, lady, the, I liked you. Right, yeah. And that's the thing, is, like, you know, but you, it's hard to even blame them, because that's just the only world I that mean, they yeah. know. Yeah. And we've talked about this before, just, like, with our family. Like, back in those days, like, it was brutal. It was Native Americans doing terrible things. It was white people doing terrible things. It was just a bad... A, it, it wasn't a fun time, the right, Old no, West. Yeah. It was not fun to be anybody <laughs> no. in the Old West. Um, yeah, it's just... It's, it's a weird... Because you almost... I think the way they could have probably improved it mm-hmm. was just, like, have some humanizing moment for yeah. the Natives. You don't have to, like make the white people in the story, like, yeah. change their ways or anything. Just something to yeah. portray to the audience, like... This These is, are people. Yeah, yeah, like, this is their perspective of the story, but it's not necessarily reflective of a reality. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they do that a little bit in the very last one with the fur trapper, where he talks about the Native American woman who he was right. living with for oh, a little Oh, that's bit. true, yeah. So they do do that a little bit, but it's... I don't know. I wish they would have done it with too little, too late. with a Native American actor present right, yeah. with anybody. I don't know. Even if like one of the stories was about a Native American perspective, I right. think that'd be interesting. Yeah. Or because there were, especially if you're like only sticking to like old Western like kind of archetype stories kind of thing. Right. There were tons of dime novels back in like the 40s and stuff that were written about like, oh, she fell in love with a Native American. Right. It's like, even if you did one of those, even though you could do that in a terrible way, if you did it in a not terrible way, right. then it would have been great. Yeah, that's the thing. I remember when I took my women writers class, it always cracks me up like when there's like a first of something that's monumental, but yeah. it fucking sucks. Yeah. That, that's hilarious to me. Uh, and the first novel ever written by a woman and published mm-hmm. was this story. It was an autobiography. It was like a true story yeah. of this super racist woman who got kidnapped by oh, Indians yeah. and like her experience there. And it's just the worst thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> like not even because I think she's like 
lying. It's just, like, the way it's written is so bad. Yeah. And it has to be like, this is the first novel ever published by a woman. Don't <laughs> read it, yeah. though. It's, it's like the birth of a nation. Exactly. Like, this is the first good film precisely. ever. It's precisely it's like that. super racist. Yeah, don't... I mean, we can look at it if you want, but don't like it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're not allowed to like this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just... I, I don't want to talk about it too much, because I don't feel super qualified to, like, really yeah. go in depth you didn't pay attention to that class. <laughs> no, I don't mean that specifically. I yeah. just mean in this movie, yeah. the way that's all handled. I mean, it's... In any kind of thing, because Western stories were kind of problematic in every way right. they were told, telling a modern version of a Western story is difficult. Yeah. It's like... Do you stick to those kind of problematic things because that's how the original was done? Or right. do you try to do something different to kind of match with modern times? Mm-hmm. And, like, archetypes, do you stick with those archetypes? Do you abandon them completely? Do you right. make? Do you keep those archetypes but change them to be yeah. more fitting with the times? It's just a difficult conversation, and mm-hmm. I think it's important to have that conversation, right. but... Yeah. We're just going to do it when it's not on the internet for everyone to hear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll have that conversation later. <laughs> so, okay, and the last one... You said it was your favorite. I really like it, I really like it, yeah. I didn't even take any notes on it, because I was just watching it. I was like, this is red. Well, the dialogue is... So this whole... I'm going to talk about Stagecoach again, because all of the... This is, like, 90% of this whole short takes place on the Stagecoach. Mm -hmm. And it uses the exact same filming technique technique that John Ford used in the Stagecoach in the movie Stagecoach. Right. Because where you have the different perspectives of... Well, first of all... It's breaking the 180 rule, which is not really a rule anymore. Yeah, I was thinking about that, too. Yeah, no, because that was what was so famous about Stagecoach, is that John Ford just didn't give a shit about the 180 rule, right. and it was worked really well. So in the Stagecoach, you totally break that rule, because you have to see where people are talking and looking at each other. So right. you, you do a lot of POV shots of looking at someone, and then them talking, and then who they're looking at, and how they react, and all of things. Yeah. And so it's very effective, and that was totally a call-out to Stagecoach, right. especially because they're literally in a Stagecoach. Uh-huh. Yeah, and for people who don't know, uh, the 180 rule on film is basically just means that when you're filming two people, or more, interacting with each other, you basically have to draw a line between them for the action, and make mm-hmm. sure that your camera stayed on the same side of it at all times. Yeah. Because otherwise, it looks like the people are talking to each other in, like, opposite directions instead of, like, facing each other. Well, it's basically an old thing from theater, because theater was a 2D experience, so a lot of really traditional filmmakers were like, well, we'll just do it like we did on stage. And so they would keep that rule, and then John Ford was like, I'm going to break that for, like, every single scene instead of the stagecoach, and also at the end, chase. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also something you still... Do. Like I it's, mean, a, it's yeah. just a rule that works. If you're gonna break well, it, you gotta it, have like a reason. Yeah, for exactly. It. It, it makes sense to the brain because everything matches. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, but yeah, it was just it's the this story so about good. five people in a coach, and they just talk to each other. And they're defo all dead. Like, there's no way in hell that this <laughs> isn't. Uh, we're going to heaven story. They're they're all dead. You know what <laughs> this... That was your interpretation? Yeah, dude, when they go to the hotel, on the hotel doors, there's literally an angel and a devil right. on either of the doors. They're <laughs> dead. We all know. You're saying these people are already dead yes. and they're going to the afterlife? Yes, okay. they're all dead. I thought you were saying, like, they're going to get killed at the No, end. they're all dead now. Right, okay. They've been gotcha. dead. They had the old-timey cough yesterday. They're dead yeah. now. <laughs> but, yeah, the characters are so... Are so, like likable like even with the two guys that definitely represent they're definitely the grim reapers don't right. get me started yeah but the guy with the mustache who's like i'm distracted and then he whacks him like he's such a cool and interesting character and yeah. all of his lines are delivered in such a cool and interesting way like the characters like him and you like him and he's kind of creepy and it's great <laughs> right. like i love the characterization in this whole scene 
And there's that also... I'm only interrupting you because you didn't write anything down. That's okay. But, like, also in that scene is really cool. Because at the very beginning, it's kind of like sunset, and you have this orange glow. And through that whole scene, it becomes nighttime through this, like, really, really slow fade. So you kind of don't notice it until it's nighttime. And it's really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that was what I was going to say. It's just... I don't know. It's I can't imagine how they filmed this. The only way I can imagine... Is they just did it all in one take, basically, with, like, cameras set up, and they had somebody, like, tuning the lights as it went. Oh, yeah. Uh, because otherwise, I feel like trying to block out, like, mm-hmm. what the light is supposed to be in any well, given interaction would be really tough. To film inside of the stagecoach, to, to get the camera where they need to be, they probably had, like, several pieces of a stagecoach all cut up. Because that's, yeah, no, that's, that's what, what they did thinking. in the John Ford stagecoach, is that's how they filmed it. So I think they had to have had done something similar. Right. Because there's no way you could fit a camera to that small of a set and have people operating it. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's just no way. Um, Unless you have, like, a GoPro, and it wasn't a GoPro. <laughs> yeah. Just, like, a disco ball of GoPros yeah. in oh, the middle. Dude, literally from the first, like, picture snippet they gave you from the book, where it's like, no matter what, the stagecoach would not stop. I'm like, they're all dead. They're dead. They're, this, is a, this is a story about death. You can't get this one past me, the Coen brothers. <laughs> right. I honestly didn't even think about it that way, <laughs> like that. I just liked listening to the people talk. I, I mean, like... yeah. It was really cool, because, like, you figured out so much about these people. Because oh, they're yeah, just, like, sure. sitting and talking, and it's really cool. Uh, my sort of closing remarks are just, like, overall, I think this still would have worked better as a series of TV shows. I mean, I feel like it would have been cool to have all of these pieces, like, a little bit more separated from each other. Yeah, because here's the thing. When you... When you put it together as a film, yeah. as, like, a condensed experience, mm-hmm. you want there to be some kind of through line. Yeah. There is not. Yeah. If you split it up into bespoke sp- stories, yeah. you can just be like, I wouldn't oh. be looking for that. Exactly, line. yeah. I wish that there was some... Either I wish they would have cut it up more discreetly, or I wish there would have been some sort of thematic tie, mm-hmm. or even, like, tonal tie, mm-hmm. between all six of them. Because they're all so wildly different in the things that they're saying and the way that they look, and... This is mm-hmm. all sorts of different things, and you you want there to be some cohesion, but there's not, if that makes any sense at all. No, totally. Um, also, this would have benefited from a slightly bigger visual effects budget, I think. Just a little bit. Yeah, like, the deer looked very bad. Yeah. And uh, there's that shot in the last one where he, like, leans out the window and is like, hey, please stop! And yeah. it's like, it looks so bad. Yeah. You can, like, see the green screen behind <laughs> yeah. them. It's awful. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I mean... Um, but, yeah, just in general, I wrote down, like, Coen Brothers movies just feel so nice. We were talking about yeah. this a little bit earlier, but, like, Coen Brothers comedies especially, like, the two of us have watched Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? <laughs> Ten thousand times. A million times. times. I've watched Burn After Reading on Netflix, like, a hundred times. I don't even like Hail Caesar that much. I've seen but Hail I've Caesar. But I've seen a lot it times. like a million times just because it always sounds good. It's just nice. It's like, do you want to watch Hail Caesar? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> sure. I don't know. For some reason, it just always sounds good and it just goes down really smooth. It's easy to watch. I've seen yeah. Big Lebowski a hundred times too. Mm-hmm. They're just easy to watch and rewatch and they get better every time you rewatch them because mm-hmm. you can see things and like the things people do become funnier rather than less yeah. funny. Damn, we're in a tight spot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's not a funny line the first time you hear it. No. But, like, every time you see it, it just gets funnier and funnier. Yeah. We're probably never going to do one about Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Because it's just going to be me and Jackson going, it's so good. Yeah. So good. What I think is stuff like that we should just save for our little bits at the end. I mean, probably. Yeah. Do you uh, want to do it right now? Maybe. We haven't watched it in, like, 12 months. Yeah. I know I have something else I wanted to talk about. Okay, uh, cool. 
the but so yeah, let's just go ahead and transition into that piece, right? Do you have anything else you want to say about Buster Scruggs? I really liked it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> the music. <laughs> no, it's a musical transition oh, to the next gotcha. thing you're going to okay. talk about. So that's it? You don't have anything else you want to no, say? No, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> you better not keep that. Uh, <laughs> I probably will. Um, yeah, so this is a little bit different than the last first episode we recorded. Because uh, in that one, we decided it was like, oh, we're going to do one big thing and one small thing every episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that required like each of us watching two things, basically. Uh-huh. And we don't want to do that. So, what I think we're going to do instead is, uh, after we talk about our sort of main event, uh, we just each take a turn and we talk about something that we saw or read or listened to and just why we like it and why it's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to, in general, try to keep it posy. Yeah. About something we like mm-hmm. rather than something we didn't like. Um, except I'm probably going to do one on Mowgli in the next couple episodes. <laughs> Because I really wanted it to be good. And it's I just, just going to be you sobbing. Yeah, I just have a lot to say about it. And it's not, I don't feel like it's negative because I like everyone involved so much. Yeah. and I, We like, love you, Andy Serkis. I wanted it to be better. Anyway, I can just do all that when I actually do that bad rather than now. Yeah. So, uh, do you want to go first? I mean, yes. <laughs> Did you not plan ahead? No, but I have one. Okay. So, recently I purchased the graphic novel called Cucumber Quest, and I... Absolutely adore it. I yeah. can't remember what the author's name. It's in my room. I should probably go grab it. Should I go do that? You can, do you have your phone? Be right back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting my phone out. Yeah, because it's so. <laughs> it's gone. You've cost of a month a lot of it. I don't think that's quite what I did. I gotta catch my breath because I ran downstairs and had to close the door on Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> but you've been <laughs> What I want to talk about uh, today is a graphic novel called Cucumber Quest, made by GGDJGA. <laughs> oh, this is the one by DGDG. GGDG. So that's G-I-G-I, initial D, initial G. <laughs> Which was written just to mess me up in this specific instance. GGDG. GGDG. <laughs> Anyway, now that I'm done shitting all over the author's name, I really love this graphic novel. First of all, the art style is really, really cute, and it's got really fun characters, because they're all kind of like these kind of bunny people. That's just a really cute art style. Oh, I see. (laughs) Sorry. I'm going to call a a GGDG and tell her that you made fun of her thing. That was a DG thing to say. I'm sorry. Please continue. But it's... A super colorful graphic novel, which is why I picked it up in the first place, because anyone who knows me lo- knows that I just love color. Anything that's, like, gray and boring and realistic, I'm just like, I don't care. I don't want that shit. I want it to be pretty. But so, <laughs> this book is really, really pretty. The art style is really cute and really fun, and the story is really fun and really self-aware, because it's about the story about a little bunny who's going to be a wizard and is going to school and just got accepted and then suddenly he's told that he has to be the hero of the world even though his little sister has been training to be a knight and she's like hey what the fuck i mean oh what the shoot 
<laughs> we can swear in these. Okay. I got some info, and as long as we're not, like, super gross, okay. we, can, we can swear in these. Okay. She's like, hey, I don't know, fuck. I don't know how our uh, queef gags from the last episode <laughs> That's true. will fare, but uh, we'll, I guess we'll just cross that bridge when we come to it. Anyway, the little sister has been trained to be a knight, so when her big brother, who's a total nerd and has been trying to go to a magic school, has to go save the world, she kind of breaks the rules and goes with them. But so it's this really funny story. All the characters are really funny and really cute. And it's very self-aware because it's set up like a video game. Like, it's kind of making fun of The Legend of Zelda, where it's like, right. you have to find the magic sword and you have to collect the the seven crystals of all the worlds. And they go up to all these colorful, cool worlds, all this magic and swords and stuff. Like, it's totally video game culture. Like, yeah. I mean, the thing that I most compare it to is probably Undertale, in that it's kind right. of self-aware and really cute and really fun, and it's just, like, you can tell whoever made it was having a really good time making it. Like, they're yeah. making little references to stuff that they like from their childhood. They're definitely, like, drawing on their real life. Like, it's just a really cool story. And I only have the first one right now, because I'm pretty sure my friend's gonna get me the second one for Christmas, so I'm just, like, <laughs> right. super excited about it. I love it a lot. I'll let GGDG know. <laughs> I'm so sorry, GGDG. <laughs> I, I can't pronounce your name. I don't want to make fun of it. It's just so fun to say. I know. GGDG. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love, I like I love your graphic novel. I can't pronounce your name. Uh, so the thing I wanted to, to present today for Show and Tell, mm -hmm. we can call this bit Show and Tell. Yeah. It'll be kind of fun. That was kind of a joke, but now I think I just like that. <laughs> I like that. Um... So what I wanted to bring today was a movie, uh, a very recent movie, called Mandy. Uh, it's directed by Panos Cosmatos, who, um, as far as I can tell, people has some sort of rep... Or has... Excuse me. <laughs> who, as far as I can tell, has some sort of reputation. Uh, but I think this is his first movie? So I'm not sure where... Maybe he did music videos or something? He mm. seems like he did music videos. Anyway. <laughs> I'm going to say he did music videos. Yeah, that's just the vibe that I get from him. Uh, this movie stars Nicolas Cage, and, uh, it came out in, I think, like, August, in theaters, and then it came out on DVD, like, a week later, like, oh. while it was still in theaters. I don't know why that happened, it's just some sort of weird marketing thing. Mm -hmm. Um, this is, like, the most bonkers movie I've ever seen. <laughs> it, basically, the plot is, like, Nicolas Cage and his wife are, like, hard rock lovers like they love hard rock okay they're lovers they are also lovers though yeah uh so i guess i don't whatever they it's not really important to the story but it's really important to the aesthetic <laughs> they're like really into like hard rock and like yeah. metallica and stuff um but like in that chill like almost kind of stoner way yeah you feel me like because this is important for me to get right because this is like everything about the movie okay. it's like the way that it looks and feels okay less than like the story anyway they live in this giant fancy house out in the woods mm -hmm. and uh this like cult leader like drives past them in his van mm -hmm. and is like oh that woman i have to have that woman cool and so basically they like attack their house and they kidnap both of them and then he's like, you're going to sleep with me. And she's like, I don't want to. So then he kills her. And Nicolas Cage goes on a murder rampage through this guy's cult. And it's... Husband! Starfish! <laughs> that's Keanu Reeves. But uh, it's the same it's vibe. The same. It's the same vibe. No, but that's the thing. is like, this movie is so slow. 
Yeah. But it's, like, suspenseful. Uh-huh. And everything's super brightly colored. Yeah. And usually movies like that are, like, snappy and big and exciting. And, yeah. you know, like, the colors come from, like, these big action sequences. Yeah. But this is not. It's, like, everything's purple and green and bright. Yeah. And, like, nothing's happening. Oh, yeah. And you're just sitting there, like, waiting for something to happen while these, like, mm-hmm. gorgeous colors are happening on screen. So I was um, about to say, it better have something cool visually going on. Because yeah. as soon as you described the plot, I was like, mm. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's, it's like... If John Wick moves at 90 miles an hour, Mandy is the same thing, but it moves at, like, 20. So it's but like it's Venom. just as good. You haven't seen John Wick, so I don't know why you think that Venom is anything like that. No, not John Wick. Venom moves really slow, is what I'm saying. I, okay, Never sure. mind. Cut I, that I, out. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, like, this really slow burn that basically culminates in Nicolas Cage uh, forging an axe for himself. And going through a murderer's rant, there's a bit where he chops off a guy's head and sets it on fire, then lights a cigarette off of the fire from this guy's head. It's, like, the craziest shit in the world. Do you think Nick Nick Cage is just finally actually going insane? (laughs) Maybe. No, it's... Because he's been on the cusp for a while. Yeah. But, I don't know, I just, I really want everyone to see this movie, because it's not necessarily, like, the best movie in the world. But it's just wild, and it's so different from any other movie I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. It's, like, hard to describe. It's like if you took the visuals and color palette from John Wick mm-hmm. and attached it to, like, the tone of The Witch, mm-hmm. which is, like, this really dreary, like, slow horror movie about, like, Puritan Massachusetts and witches and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, the craziest thing and it's, like, got this, like, really, like, metal aesthetic. Like, mm-hmm. the axe that he forges. I should show you a picture of it. I can't do this over the podcast. Yeah. It basically looks like a human spine on the thing. Oh, my God. And it's got, like, this big curvy handle with a big giant blade on the edge yeah. of it. Yeah. It's, it's metal as fuck. The okay. whole movie is just so metal. And, but it's, like, slow. Yeah. And, like, a really slow burn. And, like, I don't know. There's all these weird guys in crazy monster costumes that he kills. Because yeah. they're, like, the gods of this cult, but they're probably just guys, you yeah. know? But they've got big outfits with, like, crazy spikes and needles on them and yeah. stuff. It's just wild. I just want to tell people about this movie, because it's insane. So he goes to a cult and kills everyone in the Scientology building? Sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, but and it's also scary, too. Like, yeah. it's, it's really effective at what it does. It sounds really weird. It sounds like that weird kind of scary, where it's just, like, uncomfortable. Yeah, it's unsettling. There's a shot in it where... Uh, basically, there's the cult guy talking and the wife listening, mm-hmm. and it's, like, one shot of the guy's face while he's talking, and then it, like, wipes super, super, or not wipes, fades super, super slowly into yeah. the exact same shot of the wife's face listening. Yeah. And it it's, it's like the faces just, like, meld into each other. Yeah. And then... After they hold on her for a while, they do it in, in reverse, and it, yeah. like, melds back, and it's, like, super trippy. Yeah. It's, I don't know, I, it's hard to describe this movie, because it's just so different mm-hmm. than anything. It, like, I almost don't have a context for how to describe it, because it's so wild. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was my thing I wanted to bring this week. Uh, Mandy by Panos Cosmatos. And Cosmatos. also look up Cucumber Quest by GGDG. 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 Um... So I think we can pretty much wrap it up, right? Do you have yeah. any final remarks? Uh, do you have your one-star review? I Well, here's the thing about my phone. <laughs> so you threw it. Yeah, I threw it behind the couch. <laughs> yeah, we're literally... You have to buy a new phone. <laughs> okay, hold on. It's say goodbye to your phone.
So here's a... This is our reoccurring bit where we read a one-star review of the film we talked about in the main portion. Um, this is a review by Graham Byrne. B-Y-R-N-E. Byron. Byron. Uh, he says, It seems like it's going to be great, and then all of a sudden Buster dies and grows wings and flies off to heaven singing a song, and after that it's complete shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like the whole rest of the thing. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. love, buddy. <laughs> anyway, I'm Jackson McMurray. And I'm Adeline McMurray. And this has been No Nerds Allowed. Are we doing this? Yeah. Okay, is that how we want to end it yeah, all we the did. time? Okay, see ya. <laughs>